Hey everyone, we are back for another exciting episode this week with so many amazing things to talk about. Plus, Jackie is on assignment with the wonderful Denise Bonfiglio. We'll also find out what made Ashley say. Um, their marching band is headed to the White House um, to celebrate Juneteenth and Black Music Month. And why Cynthia said. Everyone's stepping up their game with social media. It's completely crazy. Color guards, winter guards, um, drum corps, drum lines. We see a lot of... All this and more on this week's episode of On a Water Break. Let's go. Set it up. Top of the show. Form, check form. Cover down. Do it again. Run it back. And we'll see you at the show. Welcome to another episode of On a Water Break, the podcast where we talk about everything you and your friends are talking about at rehearsal on a water break. I'm Steve McCarrick, and I'll be running this rehearsal while Jackie is out writing with Denise. June continues to be a crazy month of things. We have a special guest for Pride Month. We have a huge interview with Denise Bonfiglio as we move into DCI. We even have some recaps of what happened at the College Band Director National Association. We certainly have all the news that you need this week, and we got the insiders to tell you all about it. Uh, We'll be joined shortly by Denise Bonfiglio who has had a long involvement in the marching arts and was fundamental in many different historic events, uh, which you're going to love getting to hear about. I thought it was super cool getting to hear about all the things she's been involved with over the years. Uh, But we have a super exciting guest host this week for Pride Month. Dan Bassett may now have spent a ton of time on the marching band field, uh, but he's certainly had his fair share of water breaks as the current artistic director for the South Florida Pride Wind Ensemble. So it's time to get our winds expert over here. Uh, Trumpets, you better be putting your instruments together because Daniel is ready to go. Please welcome Dan Bassett. Hi, thanks. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you on here. Uh, Typically, the way we kick things off with new guests, just so we can get everyone acquainted and introduce you to our audience, is something we call your life story in 32 counts. Gives you about 30 seconds. You'll have a a metronome blaring behind you, just like you're in rehearsal. You'll have about 30 seconds to tell us, uh, to catch us all up to speed on uh, all the things that you like to do in life. Um, sound, sound good? Sounds great. All right. Hi, I'm Dan Bassett, the Artistic Director of the Pride Wind Ensemble. We're an LGBTQ plus and allies community band based in South Florida. I was born and raised in upstate New York with my two brothers and sister. Went to Ithaca College for music education and performance before I moved to South Florida in 1996. Spent seven years as band director at Boca Raton High School, where I met my husband of 22 years. Uh, I'm at St. Mark's Episcopal School. I moved there in 2004 as band director and then into administration. I finished my master's in music education and also my leadership and administration at Florida State University. There you go. It took all 32 counts. I love when there's a lot to talk about here. Um, What first got you into the South Florida Wind Ensemble? So I moved to South Florida right after graduating from Ithaca College, and I was looking for somewhere to keep my chops up and playing my trumpet. Um, I discovered the South Florida Wind Ensemble, uh, and I began playing in the band in the early 90s. Uh, Fast forward to 2006, uh, the artistic director was leaving, and then I uh, auditioned and uh, took over as the artistic director, which is about 16 years ago. Wow. Uh, 
And I'm sure you would agree it's probably been quite a journey from there on, has it? It certainly has. We've grown quite a bit as an ensemble, both musically and just sheer numbers. Right. Um, so it's my understanding that you guys like to incorporate some non-traditional elements in your concert performances. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about some of these and maybe what's been your favorite or maybe what you're looking towards incorporating in the future? Sure. I always like to involve a lot of extras beyond the music that we play. Uh, we need to meet our audiences, I think, where they are, and not all of them are serious mm -hmm. musicians. So I've had circus performers, magicians, dancers, color wow. guards, percussion ensembles, singers, uh, lots of guest performers, and other visual elements such as videos to accompany the music. Um, I think my favorite of those uh, we've done a couple times is uh, playing along to Barber of Seville while Bugs Bunny's The Rabbit of Seville is playing on the screen, which is really fun. <laughs> no, that's We've cool, also yeah. added some guest hosts like Seth Rudetsky to help tell stories behind the music we're playing. Um, and uh, upcoming up next is in 2024, our spring concert is going to be on May the 4th. Uh, so being a huge Star Wars fan, we'll be playing all John Williams concert. Um, I'm hoping to have a Legion of Stormtroopers and Darth Vader, and hopefully a lightsaber duel as all part of that concert. <laughs> no, that's so cool. You guys kind of really uh, bend genres a little bit and meld together a lot of different forms of entertainment, which Absolutely. is so creative. I love it. So it's Pride Month. How does uh, being LGBTQIA influence your teachings, Dan? So I think identifying as LGBTQ plus can be difficult, obviously, for anyone, but certainly... Uh, it's not easy for young people, and I, I love working with young people I teach in a school. Um, so knowing this, in 2010, the Pride Wind Ensemble created an honor band for LGBTQ plus youth and their allies. Uh, it's an outlet for them to perform great music in a safe place. And I think for me, um, creating a safe place, um, no matter how you identify, is really important. Um, and I think identifying as a gay man helps me realize and sort of embrace that. So I think that's really how it's influenced my teachings. Awesome. Yeah, I find that in a lot of different uh, music worlds, that's what the students get out of it is finding that like sense of belonging to a community. So then making that an inclusive place for everyone, it, it really helps, uh, especially young people, figure out who they are. Absolutely. Um, would you say that your own personal journey in finding who you are has been influenced by music and the different ensembles that you've been a part of? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, as you said, you have you uh, create a sense of community, and it was in college when it came out. So I was very comfortable with the brothers in my fraternity, as well as you know the other musicians, and it was a supportive, safe place there. Um, it's a pretty liberal college, so it was right. a little easier to come out there uh, than you know some other places. No, that's that's fantastic. Um... What made you say that music or marching arts were for you? Was there one particular moment in your life where you knew I was going to do this forever? Um, I think it was a culmination of things. I started playing. Uh, we had a, a small town that had a great music program. By middle school, I was becoming pretty good at the trumpet. I was a shy kid, but trumpet playing was a way for me to speak out a little bit. The, uh, I'm not as shy anymore, but at the time <laughs> I was. Um, and I was pretty good at it. So. Um, at that point, my brother had already started playing trombone. My sister was playing clarinet. Um, my brother, a bit older, was going off to college for trombone performance. And uh, I, I, at that point, I just said, you know, I think this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, 
a, a real passion for this. Right. No, it's it's fantastic. I think a lot of people uh, aren't willing to take the the risk in trying to just pursue their passion and then uh, get to form a life around something that they love. It's great for students to get to hear stories of people like yourself that have actually taken that step to do what they know they, they love to do. Yeah, um, I, I attribute a lot of that to a very supportive mother who just said, you know what, follow your passion, do do what you want to do. Yeah, that's everything. Um, speaking of what you want to do, what do you think you're going to do next? Uh, so this fall, our next concert is an EGOT concert. So we'll feature music from Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony, Tony Award winning. Uh, musicians and music. Um, I'm currently working on that program. Uh, we'll start rehearsing in a couple of months, um, but I'm sure we'll have several guest soloists from the South Florida area. And uh, that's happening on November 5th at uh, 7 at the Amaturo Theater here in, at the Broad Center in Fort Lauderdale. Cool. About how many different performances would you say the ensemble does per year? Uh, we do three performances a year, main performances. We have some small ensembles that do other events throughout the community, mm -hmm. uh, as well as a marching band, a steel drum band, uh, jazz band. So there's several components to the overall organization. But the Wind Ensemble does three major concerts. Two of them are us, and then the third is our youth band, uh, where we perform half the concert um, with the students, and then half the concert they perform on their own with their coaches. Okay. Um you mentioned that sometimes it's smaller ensembles performing in like smaller uh, local gigs or something like that. What Absolutely. sort of uh, venues or occasions would they play for? Yeah, so actually when I was at Boca Raton, uh, we had a great partnership with the city. So my band would play at all kinds of events. We do all the parades, uh, tree lighting ceremony, you name it for the city. And it was a really good experience for the students just to get out there and, and play performances. I think it's, it was so educational for them. And of course, they really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's great. I uh, I would love to see more programs like that up in the, the Northeast. I think that either I don't know about them or they don't exist. One of those two things has to be true. Um, but I think it would be very welcome in our community up here. Um, but let's get into our gush and goes for the week. This is the time in our show where our hosts and our guests get to gush and go on about anything they want to do having to do with the marching arts this week. Whitney. What do you got? Well, I actually just accepted a second color guard director job Whoa. at Austin High School. Congratulations. <laughs> I, nice. Thanks. I'm a crazy person. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to be directing two high schools that are both in 6A. And yeah, it's oh going to be a good time. Are you... Is it going to be like Monday, Wednesday with one group, Tuesday, Thursday with the other? How much um, time are you going to commit? Well, um, he was totally, the band director is totally fine with like Round Rock being my priority gig. Um, so I'm going to, you know, I'll be at Round Rock for everything. Uh -huh. And um, Austin, I'll be there basically when I'm not at Round Rock. And um, <laughs> Austin is more mornings than anything. So I'll be like at Round Rock from like 2.45 on basically. And yeah, it's, it's going to be. It's a lot crazy. to do, but I think you're going to, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to really be, uh, you're going to be lost in the sauce a little bit probably, but <laughs> check in with me in November. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a blur. Cynthia, yeah. what do you have? Um, I think this week, what I was so happy to see is that everyone's stepping up their game with social media. It's completely mm. crazy. Color guards, winter guards, 
um, drum corps, drum lines. I, we see a lot of stories and pictures and things going on. So I'm just super happy to see all the facets of the activity still like it, not just focusing on drum corps. That being said, an extra shout out to the Blue Knights. I don't know if you guys are following the Blue Knights on Instagram and Facebook. They do a daily story about what they're doing. And it's not like a big interview and stuff. It's just cool music with people doing what we know we love to do and they love to do. It's just really fun to see them every day. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been a couple of years that they've been doing this. And it's really cool. It just keeps us involved with what they're going to do this season, I think. Yeah, I I actually noticed it too because uh, I've been on social media a little bit more lately, and I see like the cadets brought back this uh this video series where they're yeah. like poking fun at how cadetsy they have to do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like what would a cadet do or something <laughs> is maybe the name of the video series. I'm probably butchering it, but it was pretty funny. I saw a video uh earlier this week. My gush for this week, I have been getting my paperwork filled out for a high school that I will teach in New Jersey this next fall. And I will tell you, it is the most ridiculous paperwork I have ever had to (laughs) fill. Like, you would think I'm trying to take gold from Fort Knox or like, ah, gosh, I don't know. Uh, It's so much more legit than like my actual job (laughs) Um, just to be able to teach Vastrum. They wanted to know. I had to literally apply to basically be a teacher within the school district. It was that serious. So New Jersey clearly cares about member safety. I don't know what that says about Pennsylvania, where I'm accustomed to teaching. But uh, Dan, what are you going to gush and go on about this week? So I've got a really weird relationship with marching band because growing up in upstate New York, way upstate, like on the Canadian border, it was mm. snowing by October, so we yeah. were not really marching. We didn't march at all. But wow. then fast forward to I get a teaching job in Boca Raton High School. They're a competitive marching band that I inherited. Um, I learned the week before starting band camp. I went to another band camp, learned how to teach it. Uh, had a very successful band camp. I even learned flag and rifle with the color guard, with the color wow. guard instructor. Had an amazing seven years ago, seven years there. And then after, I started judging. Uh, wow. I was certified with the Central States Judging Association and enjoyed doing that. So from a, luckily, I don't think my students or the bands that were judging knew that I never personally marched, but I got pretty good at teaching. Them, so. <laughs> yeah, right. You had to really get the crash course in that like seven day band camp, I guess. Yes. <laughs> uh, but clearly you hit the ground running. Things really picked up for you from there, I guess. Absolutely. All right. Well. We are going to step aside for just a minute. I'll start warming up the drums. I think Dan's got some good work coming for the horns, but we're going to gear up for our interview with Denise Bonfiglio coming up after this commercial break. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Christine Ream and Chris Green. Guard Closet was founded as a consignment business in 2000. Since then, it has grown to include winter guard, band, percussion, and other genres. We can help you with custom flag and costuming designs. Our consignment inventory has plenty of great looks for your color guard, drumline, and marching band. Pay it forward. When you purchase consignment, you help other programs. Last year, we sold over 400 sets of consignments and returned over $125,000 in payments to our consigners for their sales. Additionally, Guard Closet offers custom and pre-designed costumes, flags, 
floors and formal wear, full or partial show writing, educational programming, and other services. Max out your rehearsal time and set up a microsite for easy student ordering for shoes, gloves, and other equipment. The Guard Closet team is here to help you get everything you want and need for your season. Check us out at guardcloset.com and follow us on social media. So we are here today talking to Denise Bonfiglio. I am so excited about this conversation to start off because I have to say I have followed your career through your instructing and through judging and even on the professional side. Um, I've kind of seen a lot of what you've been doing over there and how you have taken those skills in the corporate world and transferred them. And I just have to say, you're so incredible. If those, for those of you listening who don't know, uh, Denise was inducted to the WGI Hall of Fame in 2000 and the DCI Hall of Fame in 2016. And that is just, it's incredible. You're in both and you've had such an illustrious career to in order to make that happen. So I really would like to talk to you today about that. So welcome to our water break, Denise. It's great to be here with all of you to, uh, so I can educate everybody about what I've been doing for the past 50 years. Because <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been sitting on the couch, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. So uh, let's start at the beginning. That seems the most logical place. What did, got you into a color guard? How did you first get involved with this? Well, it started way back into the 60s, believe it or not. Um, my father was, my uncle actually was involved in drum corps way back um, with the IC Reveries. They were, you know, part of a church organization, which was, which is where drum corps kind of started way back in the day, right? Um, of course. And, um, and he, he asked my father to come in and help him, you know, with the core, help out with the core. And they actually, the IC Reveries Drum Corps were, was invited to the inauguration of JF Kennedy. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Yes, at Washington, D.C. And unfortunately, my uncle took very ill. My father, he called my father to come on the trip with them to go to Washington. Uh, so my dad went, my uncle got very ill, actually ended up uh, passing away when he was there. So my oh, father my took the Corps. They went through their performance. He came home, and now he's now dealing with the drum corps. Um, so that's how my father got involved in drum corps. Talk about a hardcore start to your drum corps career. Wow. <laughs> yes, yeah. So we were just, I was just a little kid, you know, just tagging along there for a while. And um, But I did i did join the Icy Reveries. They had a junior corps uh, also. And so I did that for... Uh, for several years, and then my father started his own drum corps back in 1967, and um, I was I was still too young. He wouldn't allow me to join his drum corps because I was still too young. <laughs> so, and back in that day, yeah, back in those days, you had to get a release. You couldn't just go from one drum corps to the other drum yeah. corps back in those yeah. days. Like you had to oh, get a re they had to release you from one corps to go march into another drum corps. And um, I had to go to a hearing with, you know, the folks that were running, you know, the icy reveries and all that. And they got to determine whether or not I could go join another drum corps, which is wild, right? Wow. Could you? I couldn't imagine that happening. 
I don't I don't know what it was all about, whether I don't know if some of it was about money or some I don't really know or just dominating. I don't know what that was all about. You know, I was so young, I didn't understand it certainly. So my father came with me because I was going to join his drum corps. And after he battled with these folks, they gave me a release. They released me. But several of my friends were also leaving the reveries to go over to my father's corps, and they were not given a release. So they were required to sit out for an entire season without having to march anywhere in any drum corps before they could go and join another drum corps. So even though I got my release, uh, I decided not to march that year and hang out with my friends because I didn't feel it was right that I got a release and they didn't get a release, you know? Um, Honestly, though, that says something about your character. I feel like that you would put them before you and and do that sort of thing. Yes, yes. So anyway, uh, so I I hung out with all of them (laughs) for for the summer. (laughs) You know, while drum corps was all, you know, happening and stuff. And then we all went, you know, and uh, and joined the drum corps, my dad's corps. And um, I marched there from 1971 till 1975. And um, at the end of 75, actually, um, drum corps international, I actually aged out in 75. But drum corps international changed, they changed their, their age rule. I, I was born in August, and so it turned out that I could have marched in 1976, but I had already started teaching, and I gave my spot to my sister, who was a rifle, <laughs> so I just taught. I, I taught starting from that year, from 1976 to 1986. And, and for any of our listeners, I just want to throw out, for any of our listeners who don't know, your father's drum corps is the 27th Lancers, which of course is one of the most one of the most just epic drum corps, one of the yeah. most foundational drum corps in our entire uh, activity to this day. So I just so everybody knows what's going on there. Um, so you said that your sister did it too. Did you and your sister ever get to actually perform together? Were you ever on the team together? Um. I had two sisters that were both rifles. We were all rifles. My, you know, I had okay. one sister was a flag, but myself and my younger sisters were all rifles. And we never, we never performed together until 1994 when we did kind of this, you know, once more in '94 kind of gig at DCI, um, that big event that okay. happened from International. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was the only time that three of us got to actually perform together. Uh, which was kind of cool. But prior to that, I was always teaching them, uh, you mm. know, and um, that was a challenge in of itself, actually, <laughs> you know, <laughs> teaching, teaching your siblings, you know, so. Yes, but anyway, I um, have a lot of experience with that one. <laughs> yeah, so, and then yeah. back in that day, during that time, myself and Peggy Twiggs, and I know that you just had a podcast with Ian who was speaking on behalf of Peggy, right? Um Myself and Peggy were the kind of the two main, you know, uh, techs that work with the core. Uh, she taught the flags. I taught the rifles for all the years that I was there from 76 to 86. You know, Peggy left, I think, in um, 1982. Yes. So but the thing that was unique about that is that prior to me starting to teach in 76, I also was teaching some winter guard. I was teaching some younger guards and um you know, some cadet guards, and some of those kids were part of the guard I was teaching during that window. 
So there were some performers there that I had taught for years and years and years and years and years, you know, and they were so good. They were so incredibly talented, you know. So anyway, uh, it was pretty much myself and Peggy, you know, there for, for years until uh, she and left. You an incredible program, of course, there. And now after that, you went to the cadets, correct? Yes, I did the cadets for 10 years. Um, I started teaching there in 1987. And I left in 1997. And then in that window, I also taught uh, Star of Indiana in 1993, which was their last year, their last year in competition. Um, and that was an incredible experience. And it was the first time I was actually teaching two competitive drum corps at the same time. I was teaching cadets and I was teaching Star. And I, you know, being a part of both of those programs, I never thought that they would become as competitive as they were. And it turned out that I think in, you know, prelims they tied uh, that year at DCI and then uh, cadets won, you know, at finals so, <laughs> in 1993. And then um, in 1997, which was my last year uh, teaching the cadets, I also started teaching the Santa Clara Vanguard. Um, and then after 97, I left the cadets and went on staff with the Vanguard for a few years, actually. And I taught them from 1997 to 1999. And um, another just amazing program, though, of course. <laughs> yeah. And that was a phone call from, you know, somebody I had once taught, uh, Carol, I'll call her Carol Alba, because uh, I've never been able to pronounce her name right for a <laughs> Years I've known her, Carla Habitat. Um, she was out there teaching uh, the Santa Clara Vanguard, her and Mark Metzka. And she called and said, um, can you come out to California and help me out with the guard? I said, what are you talking about? It's three plus thousand miles away and I'm working a full-time job. I don't have time to do that. And she said, please. So she begged me to come out there. So I went out there uh, for a weekend to uh, teach the Vanguard in 1997. And I ended up, you know, it was just so completely different from what I was ever exposed to before. Um, but it was also a very family kind of oriented, you know, program. Uh, at the Vanguard. Um, so anyway, I taught there from 97 to 99. They went from third to first. And then after 99 was a big changeover that happened at the Vanguard. Lots of people left. Just, you know, it's always drama and drum corps, right? You know, <laughs> of course. Of course. Now, the changes there. <laughs> the differences that you say um, going from sort of the cadets and star and, and sort of their, their, their kind of more of an East Coast tradition here, it, is that the difference is like East Coast, West Coast sort of difference? Is it the people that are different? Is the culture? What, what is it that you're, you feel like was the biggest difference? Um, it was the financing behind these organizations. Mm -hmm. You know, my father uh, had no money to yeah. run run his drum corps. You know, they're they're running on bare bones always. And I go out to California, and they have the best of everything, <laughs> the best trucks, they have the best equipment, they have all that. And Star of Indiana was the same way. They had their own building, you know, it just, uh, you know, Bill Cook, you know, funded them, you know, and got them started with a million dollars and, you know, all that. So I think that they had so much more resources available to them in both of those drum corps, um, you know, than I had ever experienced before. Most of the people that were teaching there, you know, at Star of Indiana were a lot of my friends that were teaching. So, uh, you know, I know who they were. Uh, California. I didn't know, it was the first time I got to meet Myron, Myron Rosender. Um, you know, I didn't know a whole lot of those people. Mike McCool, 
who was uh, working there on staff, who was unfortunately deceased, way too young. Um, so there was just a di whole different breed of people on there, a different way of, you know, how they were putting a show together, uh, you know, in both environments, you know, very, very different, very different. When we, when you started, it was all your family and your blood family. So I guess you were talking drum corps and color guard 24-7, which I can relate. When you started to teach, did you, um, did you feel a click? Did it make more sense for you to teach? Did you feel more comfortable as a performer or was it just an evol natural evolution for you? Yeah, I think um, I was always interested to really dig into the details of things, uh, you know? So when I started teaching back in the 70s, um, there was no, you know, there wasn't much experience there for me to, to learn from. I learned from some of my instructors, like Ann Fields taught me, you know, back in the day. She talked about Stephen Kovitz. He taught me back in the day. Those are some of my early, early on, you know, instructors. And um, so now having to stand in front, you know, of a group of extremely talented streaming talented performers um, and teach them the mechanics, which is called technique, um, about how to do something and create a technique. Uh, you know, I mean, there's an art to, uh, you know, all the technicians in the world, even still to the today, you know, they're, they're truly the ones behind the scenes and are making stuff happen, oh, yeah. uh, you know? And, oh, yeah. um, but I was always, you know, it was like trial and error, you know, just trying to work the technical approach to do something, to a spin, to a double time, to a toss, to a catch, to whatever it may be behind the back, you know, all those skills. Um, and so I spent hours and hours and hours on my own before I went into rehearsal, just coming up with a technical approach to do things, you know, and muscle control and, you know, mind control and focus and, and all of that. And then to be able to bring that, then bring it to the performers, you know. So a lot of it was trial and error initially, you know. So, um, but I felt I felt comfortable, you know, kind of teaching from from day one because I had I had been teaching before I aged out of the core. Mm -hmm. So I was already had already started teaching with babies, little kids, little kids, you know. And really, it was like a sh I always show and tell when you have younger performers, always, mm -hmm. you know. So. Um, so I felt pretty comfortable going into, you know, that being, being a, at a high level from a performing perspective and then having to teach at that level, you know, so I, the transition for me was, wasn't, wasn't really that hard. Mm. What was hard was dealing with them being my friends or my yeah. family, <laughs> you know, and to being able to sometime, you know, draw on the line, you know, of, you know, yeah. being a, you know, uh, release the friendship part of it. Now we got business to do kind of thing, you know? So anyway. Yeah. I was going to, it's, it's probably all later on because then you judge and all that. And that's what I, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that you have so many people that, you know, now I learned that your family, you talked to your sister and, and when you become a staff, when you become a judge, there are subjects that you're not allowed to talk anymore. There's things that you cannot share anymore or in a certain manner, in a certain, and, um, and from the outside, we've known you as a very loyal and legendary and people look up to you and I'm pretty sure people write to you. How do you deal with this? <laughs> How can you draw the lines? Um, and I, I guess in yeah. teaching, it's just makes sense because you're teaching us in the moment and in the end, you're the one in front. So they don't talk back. Right. But at right. home and on the phone and, 
Yeah. A glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you know, judging, judging the activity because I started, I, I started judging later in my career than most people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was well, well, well into my career. I didn't start judging until 2002, I believe. Um, yeah. So, and I never had an interest to do it, to tell you the truth. I just wasn't interested, you know, and ever judging and evaluating, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Shirley, Shirley Whitcomb, you know, she got me involved, you know, being a part of, uh, the Winogard scene, uh, Emerald Marquis for, for years. Right. And it was during that time of Emerald Marquis, um, that they were starting to basically dig into the adjudication system for Winter Garden International and really, really refine it and define it to be more educational based, to create the mm-hmm. different classes between, you know, regional A, A class, open class, open class, you know, world class, and have that be, um, you know, more of an educational approach to judging and adjudication mm-hmm. and how you get from one class to the next to the next. Uh, so I was on a task force, and I was part of the the group of people that created the adjudication system that we still use today. Mm-hmm. And um, so once I felt comfortable with that, you know, I knew it back to front, front to back, every word that was in there, you know, all about that. And I said, well, I'm going to figure out how to apply it. So now that now it's been written, uh, you know, the whole it's a whole learning process of how do you now take yes. that and apply it? You know, all these words, how do you apply that to, you know, a numerical competitive situation? And um, that that was hard for me at first, you know, to be able to, you know, explain what I'm seeing in a manner in which makes sense to the adjudication system. And so that the listeners would know what I'm talking about, you know, that's still everybody's challenge today to tell you mm-hmm. the truth. You know, I was listening to one of your, I was listening to one of your podcasts oh, about this topic <laughs> instead oh. of talking about, we don't know what they're talking about, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, um, the thing is, is that, I mean, years ago we were trained that way. We were trained to speak in a certain language, um, that was reflective of the adjudication system. And more recently, within the past year, hmm. more recently, there's been lots of conversation about, well, how do we make this more real? How do how does Denise, you know, take what she's learned and what she's seeing and communicate that out to the people that are listening to it, as opposed to, you know, reverting that back to judge talk. Hmm. Um, so this is a it's a learning process for for all the all the judges, because we were we were taught in a certain manner, and now we are working hard to kind of undo that a bit and be a little bit more real, so that those listening can actually understand what we're talking about. When you when yeah, you guys first created judge standards, <laughs> uh, I guess a little over twenty years ago, were there certain goals that you were hoping to achieve? Uh, what were like the kind of qualifications you wanted to show through the judging? Well, I think um, the most important thing was for the classification of, you know, what what would define, you know, an A-class color guard, what would define an open-class color guard, what would define a world-class color guard, you know, and then finding those units that fit within that. So the first couple of years in which that adjudication system went into play, there was a lot of movement going on with color guards, uh, you know, because 
uh, you know, these are the words that fit this category of, let's say, an open class guard. But there were guards that were not even close to that. So maybe we should move them down to A and some of those that were overachieved and maybe move them open. So there was a lot of like movement that was going on initially. It was very hard for the guards that were competing, you know, during that time because, oh, I'm writing an A class. Oh, no, I'm open. I'm writing an open class, guard, you know, kind of show. That stuff still goes on as guards get moved, you know, during the season. Um, but back but back then, during the learning process, it was um, there, there was quite a bit of movement that went on between those classes. And it almost went feel? on for like 10 years because there were uh, the judges when you, you did the test. I'm sorry, Jackie. Nope, <laughs> when go you for did it. The, when you did the test, uh, the, for, the task force, sorry, and then you applied this, the judges that needed to learn because you guys worked on it. Like you said, you've known it cover yep. to cover, class to class. But even within one caption, you have so many categories and so many words and differences and little words and this and that. So for almost 10 years, the judges had to go through like a learning process in this. And then the designers that have been designing for years that were just in that class. And now yeah. they need to understand why they are, why it makes sense, why it doesn't. I feel like the biggest change I saw was probably technique and and how the vocabulary, maybe because that's my my thing, that's my geeky side. But like design has always been designed and then you make sense of it in the class that you're at. But how vocabulary, it really changed how people would write things, how they would think about doing choreography. I feel yeah. um, when you guys approached the program the judging and education program in that sense yeah that's true and through the years um you know with wordsmith you know each one of the criteria in the back of the sheet you know um we made we try to make that as user-friendly as we can you know with all the different you know kind of categories in which we're looking at whether it's you know the written book or it's the the excellence and the technique behind mm -hmm. that, you know, it's kind of in two separate categories. Um, but when we judge that, we look at that as one, because you have to have something to judge, you know, whatever that something is, which is your vocabulary, it's how well you're doing it and the technical approach to it and the expressive qualities through it to make it come alive. You know, so we're looking at all those components, you know, through time throughout the entire show, uh, you know, um, but there's definitely, you know, and every year we learn something new because the activity grows. There's something new that comes out, you know, there's creativity that's happening, you know, in each one of the classes, you know, so there's something new, there's something new for us to learn, you know, I get super excited when I see something, when I finally see a skill I've never seen before, yeah. you know, I get super excited yeah. about that, you know, just like, but when I see skills that I was teaching back in the 70s, you know, still on the floor, it's just like, haven't you all like watched those videos <laughs> of the past? You know? you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I taught St. Anthony's Imperials back in 1978 where they did the toss catch under the leg. And that started oh. to come back a little bit, you know, almost two years ago. And I yeah. said, I was teaching that back in 1978, but the difference was that they had high riding boots on their legs <laughs> and these kids, not so much this year, you know what I mean? So, so it's just interesting how skills, you know, it's like circle cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Of You know, what goes on in the activity from an equipment perspective, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, where do you see it going? Just, just because you've probably seen patterns, like you were saying, you saw, you see this skill coming back. You've seen patterns over the course of your career. Where do you see us going in the next five years, 10 years from where we are now, as far as color guard, indoor, outdoor, either way, 
what do you think is about to happen for our activity? I think, um, you know, some of the most creative things that I've seen has always been through the soundscape. So the audio, the audio that's being used and what it is that motivates you as designer to create within that, you know, there's always, um, you know, I went back and looked at some of, uh, you know, Santa Clara Winogard's, you know, programs that, you know, I had the, the Winograd out from 2006 to, to, to 2016, you know, and within that, within that time period, you know, just listening to the soundscape um, of what we use and how that motivated the visual design, how that motivated the character of the performers, how it motivated the equipment, how it motivated all that, you know, there's just so much volume you know, of, of music out there and genres, you know, just, I think it's endless as to where it could go. It's just a matter of the imagination of folks that they have and what, you know, kind of interests them. But I still think, you know, you know, there'll still be props or sets, you know, set pieces on the floor. You know, people are starting to get into a little bit more prop using of different things that they're spinning and things like that. You know, I think, um, this this activity, the indoor activity can go on for years and years and years and years. It really can, you know, and still be super, super interesting. The outdoor activity, drunk core, um, every year it gets more and more and more and more expensive to do what it is that they do. And, uh, you know, so until such time as the drum core has now become small businesses, um, right. You know, because that's what you need. You need to be a small business. I just ran the cadets. I just got through, you know, uh, with them after the 2022 season. Super expensive. It's super, super expensive. Liabilities are huge. Um, you know, there's no director that sleeps from June to August at all, you know. And so I don't, I don't know. Can it survive? It can, um, providing that these the, the organizations that are supporting these cores can continue to to fundraise and come up with a way to, you know, make money for their organizations, you know. But I think, you know, they're, again, again, it's music-based, right? You know, and the uh, the thought process that's going in, the creativity, the design, all of that coming from the music. It's the music that's generating all of that. I think it could be endless, too. It's just a matter of whether or not they're going to be able to survive from a financial perspective. To afford everything, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. It's something I've definitely thought a lot about being a young person in the activity and wondering where it'll go across the length of my own life. Um, mm -hmm. As you maybe think about other young people in the activity, either folks currently marching or folks just looking to get into teaching now, what advice would you give for someone who still has a long road ahead of them? I think um, the one thing I had to learn throughout all of my career is to find the people that you want to work with. Like find the find the find the people that um, you know. You know your strengths. You know your weaknesses. But find those people that can balance with that and be better at what you are at something. You know, are more knowledgeable about something than you are because those are the people that are going to inspire you as a writer or as a designer, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that that's important. And a lot of times, you know, I think early on in my career, I, I wanted it to, you know, 
I was kind of solo in all that I did, but I surrounded myself with George and Gally, Peggy Twiggs, you know, John Vandekoff, Jim Moore, Carol, you know, just those people, they're super, super creative, you know, and I think that, so that's, that's an important key, you know, to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that you want to work with and more important people that you can work with. I think that that's also personalities play big. <laughs> no, personalities, personalities play big in creativity, right? And if you can't work with the people that you want to be creative with, then you're not going to be your creative self. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, finding the, the right mix of people that you can work with and you're comfortable with and they'll allow you to be you, I think that that's high priority. It was a high, high priority, you know? And I think that, you know, others that are getting involved, you know, don't be afraid to look outside and ask for some help or ask some questions or, you know, anything like that. You know, there's a lot of people out there that would be willing to help in any way, you know, to get things kicked off the ground, you know? So. That's awesome. Denise, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This this has been a, absolutely a gold mine of knowledge, not just on history, but advice and everything else. Like this is so much more even than I was thinking it was going to be. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming out for our podcast. Yeah, absolutely, you guys. Great to meet you all. <laughs> you Great too. to meet you. Thank you for coming. Hello, it's Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. I'm the host of the Marching Roundtable podcast, and this next week we begin our summer podcast series with interviews about the DCI 2023 season. We've reached out to every DCI Corps and offered to do an interview. These will be released all throughout the summer at marchingroundtable.com. There'll be an audio and a video version of each podcast. We start this first week with the Cavaliers from Amigo Corps, which is celebrating their 75th anniversary this year. It was so great that six of their designers stopped in the middle of spring training with the Corps to talk with me and talk about the show. They have really created something special this season, a real treat for any drum corps fan. The show includes some classic favorites like the opener, which is a new arrangement of the Rudder Gloria. Arranged by Richard Salcedo. Yes, he is back as the arranger and brass caption supervisor with the core this year. The show is also full of Easter eggs, those little visual and musical bits they include which will make drum corps fans feel smart and remind them of those Cavalier corps we've all loved through the years. Here are three excerpts from the podcast. First, we hear from Richard Salcedo, then program coordinator David Starnes, and finally, battery percussion arranger and percussion caption supervisor Mike McIntosh. Um, it's just for the Cavalier fans. You know, I, I want them to maybe hear some things that they remember, but, but hear them in, I hope, the most beautiful way where they can say, you know, I kind of knew that was coming, but I didn't know it was going to come like that. You know, and um, I just, it's all about goosebumps, uh, at least for me as a, as a writer. As I was putting the closer on paper, it's like, how many goosebumps, how many teardrops can we get from people here? When you have a chance to play a melody from a choral work, or when you have a chance to create an original melody, or when you have a chance to, to remind people of why they love music through melodies that bring them back to memories and a time that they were a different place in their life, why do we not capitalize on that stuff and i just that's i think more than anything we're just excited about people leaving the stadium humming a melody this summer easter eggs are very intimate because they mean something different to everybody and 
everybody here on the staff is bringing back in their mind what made the Cavaliers special for them. So just as another, another part of the title, where you'll find me, this is where you will find us as fans of the activity and fans of the Cavaliers as we regenerate, you know, old bottle, new wine, what we're, what we want to bring to life in, in 2023. You can find the podcast series all summer at the Marching Roundtable. The Marching Roundtable podcast is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International. This is Ashley from Honor Water Break. I'm here with Lexi Duda. Um, for those who um, maybe know or don't know, me and Lexi actually have twirled together um, for, I don't know, probably 10 years almost. A lot of years. A it, lot of it's years. It's been a while. <laughs> um, but for those of you who don't know her, um, Lexi, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So as Ashley said, we twirled a uh, baton together. We grew up competing nationally, internationally together. Um, I've won multiple world titles, both individually and with Wheaton Dance World Teams, my team, where Ashley and I know know each other from. (laughs) Um, But I was also featured twirler at University of Maryland for four years. Um, And yeah, I just, now I coach on the other side of things. You still coach with Wheaton, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. Is it like so weird for you to coach the kids that, I mean, you kind of, like, twirled with them, didn't you? Yeah, Some so it's kind of a fun, yeah, there's a, right now it's kind of a fun generation because it's girls on the team that have known me for, like, pretty much most of their lives, like, ever since they came to the team and everything, and so it's kind of fun because they knew me comp- competing and kind of in those years, but they knew me more as, like, oh, Lexi's on team and everything, not as much in, like, a coach figure, um, right. so now it's just kind of fun because they'll come to me asking a lot of questions on like, Hey, how can I fix this? Can I have help with this a little bit more often than they used to? Um, yeah. and it's like a friend or a mentor than like, yeah, a coach, exactly. I guess. And it's really fun watching them grow because like, like I said, a lot of them I've known since like, honestly, probably most of them since they were like five or six. Um, so now like they're, most of them are like teenagers and they're like, in I know high it's school. so weird. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're all in college. They're all in high school. They're like graduating. Yeah, exactly. They're like real, like life people now in my head. They were just this little ones walking around the gym, like just having a time with the baton and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a lot of fun just to see on the other side of things. And I like that I'm still involved a lot. Um, because obviously baton was a huge part of my life growing up. So I like that I still can be involved in a different aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. Totally. I, I still coach. So I coach with the university of Delaware golden girls. That's pretty Mm -hmm. much my only like in with baton trolling now, I guess, but I do have my part of. Yeah. Yeah. College trolling is so much different than competitive trolling. I was listening to the podcast with Kyleen and Mm -hmm you were saying like how you were, you were able to enjoy it more. Like once you got to college and I totally agree with that. I was like, this is, this is it. I was like, this is so right. And so great. And and I don't think people understand it until they go to college and they're twirling at a university. And then they're like, Oh, I understand it. Like it's a completely like you 
one, I think you love baton so much more just because you can mm -hmm. have fun with it. You're not trying to make sure that you're not like, you don't want to drop obviously, but like, it's not coming <laughs> off and stuff like that. Or you can do other stuff where like, you know, you're not going to drop the trick. So then you can play around it a little bit easier than like the harsh competitive aspect. Right. Right. Um, so what made you want to join the, um, on a water break in Brinestone's podcast? So I really just wanted to help tell twirler stories kind of from all over. So I think that especially like we talk about twirling in college, there's a lot of opportunities that people don't know exist. So is even as something as like twirling in the national championships to um, like we were talking about Kylene, she's Miss Wisconsin. She gets to twirl and do a bunch of cool performances for that. Um, just like there's a lot of different aspects that people don't understand come with twirling in college and stuff like that. So I kind of want to be able to bring that a little bit more into light rather than people just like posting on Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. I want people to actually be able to talk about their experiences. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think it's really cool what Baton has been able to do for a lot of people. Um, I, I think we see it more in like the collegiate years um, because it depends on what your band does and stuff. Like some bands this year, multiple different bands traveled to like Ireland and England to be able to perform, perform at different things. Um, so just bringing those kind of stories a little bit more into a conversation so that people, if they're on the edge about twirling in college or not, they can at least listen to what can come out of it besides just like an incredible experience, kind of once in a lifetime thing. Right. Like, so on the, the main podcast on a water break, it's a lot more talk about color garden and I bring in like a little bit of, of twirling where I can, but it's really cool being on both sides because yeah. I'll say something about twirling and they're like, oh my gosh, I like when I, I talked about pageants, like modeling, uh -huh. and solo, they're like, modeling, why do you model? It does fit in a little bit, like later in your years. I think that's the only way that it helps so much, like, um, job interviews. Job <laughs> yes. I'm like, see, at least I know how to talk to people. That has gotten me somewhere. <laughs> right. I'm not saying like, like, and um, um, in between every exactly. single sentence. I am so grateful that I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I can speak professionally, have poise, and make Most it look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, but nobody thinks that goes hand in hand in baton from the beginning. So it's like when you start to lay it out, they're like, this is a lot more in depth than I thought. I'm like, yes, yeah. yes. It it's is. really a whole nother world than any of the marching arts it's it's like totally separate i mean it would be so cool to like have it more involved like yes at, um the wgi championships there's a group or there was a group called amachi and they had uh -huh. um I, I can't i don't know how to say his name it's like kazuki kamada or from mm -hmm. japan yeah. him and like a bunch of the other japanese uh twirlers they were on that team so they did color guard but they also had the twirlers um yeah that's awesome. so it was really cool to watch they would just do like a high toss and catch a flying the whole stadium would go absolutely insane i'm like they just did a toss i don't know what everyone's clapping about but that's like yeah. people outside people are finally like seeing it a little bit more to incorporate things yeah so yeah. it's definitely cool to see like everyone's reaction to even with like the little bit that I say. So 
if they listen to the podcast, they'll they'll be like mind blown for sure. Yeah. yeah, I hope I hope that it all like helps people connect everything and they can get inspiration from both like on the water break color guard wise and uh, baton with the on a water break and rhinestones and stuff like that. But yeah, thanks for having me, Ashley. Of course, it was great to talk to you, and um, you can all go check out. Um, our main page, which is on a water break, and then also check out Lexi's podcast, which is on a water break in rhinestones. Cynthia, what stood out to you in that interview with Denise? Oh my God, what didn't? Well, first of all, you didn't know her and you didn't say it, but just the fact that you didn't know the goddess of Denise, that is the one thing that stood out to me. No, but she has so much knowledge and she's really humble about everything she's done when you think about the simple fact that she's been there since the complete beginning before drum corps was a th- like mm-hmm. the real color guard that we know now in drum corps and then how she was on the board of uh, how'd you say that when they rewrote the wgi rules and the judging right. system um and she's still super relevant she's in doing this uh still really really she's still with wgi and she judges wgi equipment still but then she gets really involved into local circuit of judging um how do you call it the judging associations um, yeah local regional circuits so yeah she's just it was just a great conversation and we could have had like a series around her i think but yeah and you yeah, I know, her. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was going to mention uh, it, it might be good even because many of our guests may not if they're not from the color guard world have known her either. Um, mm-hmm. But she really is so like fundamental to the way that m- a lot of aspects of the marching activity like came together over the last like 30 to 40 years even. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even just like hearing her tell stories and she'll be talking about like Zingali because yeah. it's uh, someone that she knows and yeah, like, not Zingali as a trophy but yeah. Zingali as the human the human she, the she, human yeah. she's friends with like every name that you read on trophies yeah and she was like working with them to create the activity that we all love it was just like a different perspective and almost even I remember being impressed by like her uh vision for the future and the way that she views it as like a a really dynamic and like changing activity that like you as a young person or me could also influence the direction that the activity goes um thank you for calling me a young person but (laughs) (laughs) but but you're right she i know it's i think it's one of the last questions you asked like what do you foresee in the future and she really did have two different Opin- not opinions, but things to say about color guard and drum corps, and she pinpoint uh, challenges that are really are real challenges. The money issue mm-hmm. <laughs> thing that will, but then she is really, I think, hopeful about the how that can be. Everyone is going to be created creative around. So yeah, it's just really she's just so relevant. She's so relevant and she just has such uh, unique perspectives to bring Mm. to like a conversation about band that Mm. I think we are lucky to have on the show. Hopefully we'll get to speak to maybe her again or or more people like her, but it was wonderful having her on. Um, 
Before we get too deep into the news, Beth got a chance to talk to our friend Emily Nee. She's the one that does all of the amazing cartoons you might see on the uh, on our social media at On a Water Break. Emily was recently at the College Band Directors National Association meeting, and she got to speak to some of the people there. Beth? Hey, all. I have a news clip for you because we had an on-the-street roving reporter at this year's CBDNA. And if you don't know what that is, it's the Collegiate Band Directors National Association. And with us today is Emily Nee. She attended. Thank you, Emily. Welcome. Hello. Hello. So, so tell us why you, you know, how you got to CBDNA, which is like a mouthful. CBD doesn't mean, you know, the same thing to everybody. So tell us a little bit about it. Oh, yeah. So uh, I was at the CBDNA clinic actually with uh, my university's alumni band. And while I was there, I actually had the amazing opportunity to talk to some of the directors while I was there. And uh, I thought that was really cool. And it was just really nice to see so many different band people who are all passionate about the same thing gathered in one place. It was really cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat that the the collegiate directors actually have this conference to kind of, you know, do a mind meld, share thoughts, share teaching techniques, ideas, what's trending, and things like that. Um, and they also do a spot for uh, collegiate alumni bands. They also have a have that chapter there as well to kind of help to feed that whole program and to um, you know promote alumni engagement uh, at the collegiate level so that anybody beyond you know can can support their collegiate band programs. So I, so you got to talk to a couple of directors and who was the first one you got to speak with? So the first one I met was uh, Trey Harris from Western Michigan University. Ooh, let's hear what Trey had to say. Hi, I'm Trey Harris from Western Michigan University. What was your favorite panel? It's hard to choose at this conference just because everything applies to everybody, but I got a lot out of discussions about community building and um, anything that talked about sort of working with donor relations and things like that. Oh, fun. Kind of like outreach in a sense? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I mean, that's important, right? I think so, yeah. Curious. Tell me something fun about your band. About my band? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. fun they well they're they're absolutely delightful human beings but they just they work hard but they they do it in a way that shows how wonderful they are so they're they're quirky in all the best ways but they're focused when they need to be and and they they know that this thing that we do is important and that it's it's about something bigger than them so it's not funny but it's just kind of why they're so amazing Oh, yeah, for sure. What about any special, like, game day traditions or things that y'all's, like, doing? Um, I, I, selfishly, my favorite is that the leadership team brings donuts um, to our 6 a.m. game day rehearsals. Um, that's me. But really, it's, you know, seeing them on game day, seeing them come together. And I think my favorite thing on game days is when our senior staff debriefs the band. And it, it's a chance for the entire group to be vulnerable and emotional with one another and to, and to celebrate what they've just gone through, that 10-hour you know, game day. They've, they've come together and they've supported one another. I think that's probably my favorite thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. So that's really interesting. So he got a lot out of the, um, the outreach 
portion of one of the clinics. And I, and it's really important at the collegiate level. Um, you know, they don't have the same funding structure as a lot of, a lot of other programs or a high school program. And, you know, some schools, you know, division one schools are part of the athletic department and get some funding there. But if you're not, if your program isn't, you need to rely on those alumni and folks to, to help you, you know, and your communities to help support your program. So I'm glad you got to talk to him. Yeah, for sure. And you're absolutely right. Not all college bands are like tethered to their athletic program. And a lot of their support really does come from those alumni who love band long after they've stopped marching there. Yeah, when they you know hang up their horn, hang up their flag, and then, you know, now what? And here's a great way to get back. So I guess you spoke to, you spoke to a couple of other people. And next, I think it was, it was Shana Stahl. Yeah, Shana Stahl. Fun fact about her, she actually, before she was a director of her respective marching band, she was a grad assistant at my university, University of Washington. So it was really cool to kind of meet her where she was right now and be like, oh my gosh, you're a whole band director now. Amazing. <laughs> so you watched her grow up. So let's hear, let's, let's hear your chat a little bit of your chat with Shana. Hi, my name is Shana Stahl. I'm the director of, of athletic bands at the University of Kentucky. Hi, Shana. Nice to meet you. So, what was your favorite panel at the conference? My favorite panel so far, because there's still more tomorrow, was um, a Finding Grit. Finding Grit? What was that one about? Um, a friend of mine did that presentation, or sorry, Growing Grit. It's how educators can help students develop grit in getting through the tough times. Oh, oh, that sounds really interesting. What did, it, what did they talk about? Like, just a brief summary. Oh, gosh, that's hard to do. Um, just basically steps of how to help students cope with different um, variables that happen and, you know, help them get beyond what they're going through. Oh, nice. I think that's very important for any group. <laughs> I am curious about your band. What's it like, the band life for you? Oh, gosh. This is the end of my second year. Uh, finishing up my second year. I'll be going to my third year next year, and um, it's a whole lot of fun. The students really have a great time. Wildcat marching band. Um, and the students are fantastic there. We have catwalk, we've got um, our game day pregame and halftime and in the stands uh, events that we do and they have a great time. Catwalk, that's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love the name of that. Yeah. What is the catwalk? So the catwalk is when our team arrives on their bus and they go through this huge tunnel that wraps around all the way to the stadium and the band plays on these tiered steps and we play a whole bunch of different songs and then the fight song when the team comes down. Ah, yes, because everyone needs their own entrance theme. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks for your time, Shana. It was nice meeting you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, who doesn't want their own entrance theme? I mean, I think we should all have one, right? Correct. Yes, band, band football or whatever. We all need our own entrance music. Um, well, that's really neat. So she's a new director at the mm -hmm. University of Kentucky. That's a big deal. And that's a big school. Uh, for her to take, you know, take the reins of. So good for her. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, some some more, you know, female empowerment and, you know, that, that that's a big program. And for that kind of glass ceiling to be broken, I think is, you know, is really, really worth noting. And I think it's interesting that, that her topic that she found, you know, most helpful was, you know, creating grit in your students. And I'm sure that there's been a lot of challenges that a lot of students have to overcome through COVID and a lot of other, you know, setbacks and programs around the country. So I'm sure that topic was very popular with a lot of the directors there. Yeah. Um, so 
after Shana, you actually talked to a couple more people, I think. Uh, Doug Morin. And tell us about Doug. Yeah, Doug Morin, similar to Shana, also graduate assistant for University of Washington Husky Marching Band. Woo! Go dogs. I'm sending and, a I'm sensing a trend. Some some hey, good stuff happening at UW. That's awesome. No, that's just a coincidence. But anyway, <laughs> Doug, similar story. Graduate assistant has his own band now, and uh, he was also fun to talk to as well. So it's kind of like old home week for you, Emily. This is cool. So let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of Doug's Doug's conversation. Go ahead. I guess uh, first, uh, your name. And job title. If you want. Hi, I'm Doug Moore, and I'm the director of athletic bands at Vanderbilt University. Nice to meet you, Doug. So, uh, what was your favorite panel at the conference? I'm enjoying the discussions about student leadership and the culture of the bands. I think most people who join a college band uh, remember the people they were in with. They'll remember the experiences as well, but they'll think of the people first. So I've enjoyed the discussions on how you create the culture of the band. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now tell me a little bit about your band. Like anything fun, memorable? All of it. Uh, so we are the smallest school in the SEC. Uh, the members come from everywhere. Uh, we have more people who are from the Atlanta and Chicago area, if we combine those two, than are from the state of Tennessee. So we get really a nice meld of people from across the world because we also have people from Beijing. We've had euphonium players from India. Oh, really? Yes, exactly. So it's a wonderful meld of, of cultures. And you know, I know people come in a marching band from everywhere for a lot of universities, but I think it's more pronounced at Vanderbilt because, you know, because we don't have as many regional students. Oh, that's interesting. Fun fact, my dad attended Vanderbilt. Really? When? I don't remember. Before me. <laughs> that makes sense. Before, okay, very good, very good. So I'm sure he was there cheering on the band as well. You know, I'm actually not sure about that, but I'm going to just tell myself, yes, yes, he was. Yes, yes, yes he, he was. was. I'm uh -huh. sure he was. And if he wasn't, he's going to pretend he was now. Exactly. Well, thanks for talking to me. Thanks for the interview. Great yeah. to see you. Okay, that was delightful, and, and I love that you're not sure if your dad cheered on the band. We're just gonna say he did. I'm I'm going on record. I'm sure your dad did, Emily. There's I'm not. I'm just gonna speak for him. Same, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but that's that's an interesting concept too. I mean, you know, when you get to a bigger school, and even though Vanderbilt, like he said, is the smallest in the SEC, but it's still you know bigger than maybe a Division two school. The 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 scope of the you know geography of their of their students is is important and i think it changes the 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 complexion of your band you know when you have that type of diversity coming mm -hmm. to you the geodiversity you know a band in chicago might march differently than a band in atlanta and if you've got you know um hbcu kind of influences maybe in the south versus what you might get up north with military style you know and watching them blend he's got an interesting you know concept then to try to meld those together and get everybody to then march the Vanderbilt way you know it's, oh, it's, it's yeah. like a third way right that's cool well if anyone can do it Doug can do it oh look we're, we're rooting for Doug go Doug go Vanderbilt so I think there was one more interview you had and was that with Natalie 
Yes, she was actually one of the event coordinators. And I thought, you know, this is a good person to actually explain what's going on. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, what was her name? Natalie Orkman? Ackman. 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 Yes. I apologize. Natalie. Natalie Ackman. Yeah, let's let's listen to what Natalie had to say. Great. Um, so I'm Natalie Ackman. I'm the president of the University of Cincinnati Band Alumni Association. And um, here at the CBDNA and NAOAB Athletic Band Symposium, uh, one session that I, I kind of really enjoyed was um, my own, honestly, talking about preserving your band's history and uh, just getting to geek out over all of our shared histories of marching band and the passion that we have for our programs and how you can kind of translate that for your band and make a significant impact through the world of history. So. Oh yeah, that's really cool. I guess for people who may have not heard of this event, what is the CVD, uh, the letters? Uh, yes, so CVDNA is the College Band Directors National Association, um, and then NAOAB is the National Association of Alumni Bands. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> so it's just like a meeting of all the different band directors and alumni across the nation? Yeah, from what I understand, so CBDNA as an organization is, is all college band directors. Um, this is, you know, from your wind symphonies to your marching bands, but every year uh, a subset, those who work with marching band programs do what they call the athletic band symposium. And so this is, this is our marching band directors, our pet band directors um, from all over the country. And then um, it, the alumni bands uh, and the NAOAB uh, found that it was a really great way to network with those college band directors and show, you know, the incredible innovation and impact that your alumni bands can have for your marching band programs um, and other pep spirit related programs. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, since she, you know, clearly was in charge of the the event and coordinating, the, you know, panels and and everything, it's I being a being a group travel planner myself at Peak, you know, it it's a lot. Details mean, you know, can make or break an event, and so um, good for her for organizing a bunch of band directors because we know that that could be like, you know, herding cats. Yeah, I mean, kudos to all of the event planners. I mean, <laughs> I could yeah. not imagine. Whew. No, no, but I think it's important too for our listeners. If you are part of an organization or program um, and you're looking to build it and, and get more traction, working with your alumni and gathering those people is a great way to get your groups um, more funding because alumni tend to have jobs, which is nice, uh, to, to have support in the community, to build that, that, that excitement about your band in the community, and then just you know, the excitement then around anything that has to do with the band, when the alumni come back, it helps feed the energy of the band, the current members too, I think. So, you know, if you get a chance to participate in any of these panels, or if you hear about these conferences, or if you're looking to start your own alumni and you don't know where to start, contact the CBDNA um, and they will be able to uh, um, help you help you find the resources to maybe get, get your pilot program started. So, you know, Emily, is there anything else you want to tell everybody about CBDNA that you learned this year or, you know, things that things that you saw that you would like to share? Well, so I was mostly at the, the alumni band association parts because I'm not a band director, so I didn't go sure. to a lot of those band director panels. 
But I think overall, just to kind of moosh it down into one little bite-sized segment, it's just it was just really nice to be surrounded by other people who shared the same passion and love about marching band and just seeing so many different people from all over coming together for this one thing. And it was like, oh my gosh, band really is a family. And it was just really <laughs> fun. It was like, ah, yes, band con. Love it. Yeah, see? So I think I think it's something everybody should take a look into. And Emily, thanks for being our, our on the scenes reporter for the for the event. We really appreciate you taking that time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Jeremy was like, ah, you should you should do something. I'm like, yes, okay, on it. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> thank well, you thank, so much. Thank you again. And uh, back to the next news story. Time to get our history lesson for this episode. Each week, the Marching Pageantry Arts Museum folks are going to give us a little bit of history so we can know what came before us. Check out this week's story. Yeah, they had to be careful what they did. They had, but and how to get to understand what they were doing, but how it related to music. I mean, Ralph Pace, when I was in the '60s, and he was teaching a Royal Leaders out of Haddonfield, New Jersey. Oh, girl, they Keller Arts. Different regions of the country were all different. And Ralph Pace and John Worcester, who worked with him at that point, uh, the drum line that they performed to, the drum line was on the court and performing with the color guard, which all of a sudden blew a lot of judging. Well, how do I judge them? Can I judge their music? Well, no, you really have a true music judge at that point because they were just the ones creating the pulse and the pace that you were performing to. But the, he found ways to work them in that stuff would go flying over top of the drummers as they were going along. Pray to God they didn't get hit in the head. To learn more about the Marching Pageantry Arts Museum, go to marchingpageantryartsmuseum.org and follow us on social media. If you don't follow Drum Corps today on Instagram yet, you should. They are keeping us all up to date with everything that's going on in Drum Corps. So take it away, Jeremy. Hey, everyone. Drum Corps today with another Drum Corps news segment. First up, we have show announcements. This past week, there have been two more cores to release their 2023 productions. 7th Regiment will be going for open class finals with their production, Minimal, and Cold Cadets will be close behind with their production, Classical Innovations. Throughout the past week, though we haven't gotten any full uniform reports, we've gotten a sneak peek as well as some new drum skins that'll look pretty cool for the upcoming season. Southwind has given us a couple close-ups of their metal beams and suspension cable-inspired uniforms. In addition to that, Mandarins revealed their drums for the season. The Knights gave us a sneak peek of their uncovered drums. The Troopers unpacked their new drums for this season. Up next, we have rehearsal camps that are coming up. This weekend, there are four camps and three corps are moving into spring training. Out west, the Colombians have a camp in Armand Lervine Middle School from Friday, June 16th to Sunday, June 18th. Vessel is a camp at Cien Dimas High School from Saturday, June 17th to Sunday, June 18th. The Midwest Eclipse has a camp in Indianapolis, Indiana on Saturday, June 17th. Out East, Spartans have a camp at Bishop Hendrickson High School from Friday, June 16th to Sunday, June 18th. On Saturday, June 17th, Seattle Cascades start their spring training in the Dalles, Oregon. Gold starts their spring training at Damien High School. The Academy moves over to Sierra High School for the rest of their spring training. And on Sunday, June 18th, Italian starts their spring training at Wattash High School, and Impulse and Golden Empire take the day off after rehearsing all week. Even though most of the cores have already moved in, 
there are still 281 brass spots, 69 field percussion spots, 73 front ensemble spots, 295 color guard spots, conductor spots, and 61 additional spots, ranging from team time to administrative intern positions, which in total comes out to just under 800 open spots for this summer. All of this information can be found at our Instagram page, Drum Corps Today. Links to everything can be found at the link in our bio or link tree slash Drum Corps Today. And stay tuned for more Drum Corps news. Don't worry, everyone. Trish is back to dish about DCA. And take it away, Trish. Thanks, Cynthia. Well, it's 2023 show preview time in DCA land. The Hawthorne Caballeros debuted their production last weekend, while the Reading Buccaneers are scheduled for June 17th and the Bushwhackers on June 24th. Hearing good things coming out of those camps, so we're gearing up for an exciting season. Stay tuned here this summer for more DCA news, as well as interviews with some of the directors and designers who make all of this happen. Thank you, Trish. All right, up next is the news. Dan, do you have our first story for the week? Yes, I love this story. A woman in hospice at home received a special performance on her lawn by the Warrensville Heights High School Marching Band. The 66-year-old woman, who doesn't want to be named, was given two weeks to live on June 6th. She also happens to be the aunt of the band director and director of student wellness and innovation programs for Warrensville Heights City Schools, Doshin Wilson. When the band students learned that they had the chance to do the lawn performance, they quickly agreed. So after performing at the Rock the Block Parade on Larchmere Sunday afternoon, they went to the woman's house to spread joy. The band performed three songs during the lawn performance that was well-received by Wilson's aunt. Wilson is hopeful that it encouraged his aunt to continue to fight the fight. That's so nice. That's almost like we were talking about earlier about bands getting out there and doing more non-traditional events in their community. Um, I think it's awesome that they were able to make a positive impact like that. And I would love to see more bands be able to get out there and do good for uh, just the people around them. Uh, Ashley, do you have your story for this week? Yeah, um, so this one is actually a little bit close to me. Um, The Morgan State University, which is in Baltimore, Maryland, um, their marching band is headed to the White House um, to celebrate Juneteenth and Black Music Month. Um, So they're going to be performing on Tuesday evening um, on the South Lawn to um, celebrate Juneteenth and Black Music Month, um, which President Biden has just booked just proclaimed June as Black Music Month um, back in May. So it's pretty recent. Um, hmm. So that's really awesome for them. I actually saw them for the first time last year at um, Collegiate Band Festival. So I'm really excited for them um, to have this opportunity um, at such a monumental place, literally. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I think we had a story last week about another band that was performing in the White House. Um, do we know if this was the the same ensemble or are there multiple ensembles getting up there? Uh, I'm not sure. We'll have to check from last week. Um, looks like, yeah, it looks like it was multiple different ensembles. That's super cool that uh, these different groups are going to get the chance to perform I mean, in some senses, on like the biggest stage you could get. I, I don't. <laughs> I feel like if you're performing yeah. <laughs> and there's like there's like secret service around, that you you're doing something right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> awesome opportunity for them. Uh, super cool to hear about, Cynthia. 
What's your story this week? Hey, it's a little different, but still with what we love in the arts and creativity. There's an artist, Mark Leite. I don't exactly know where he he is, but he's recreating them. Um, how can you call it? It's almost a painting with vinyl records. So he pieces vinyl records mm-hmm. together to replicate like a marching band scene. Um, he's been in love with vinyl records forever, and he make sure to say that no one should be worried. There's no like high value <laughs> record use for this, but, um, but yeah, he, it's just a cool marching band scene that he re- recreated vinyl. So it's just an interesting, different little story about not really the marching arts, but the marching arts are represented in there. Uh, it's like the art imitating life or life imitating art. I don't yeah. know on this one. Uh, is he actually like constructing like visual art using vinyls as the medium? Is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> it's like I don't want to say posters, but it looks like on on like a on drywall or whatever. He creates like human being piece with piece of vinyl that he cuts almost like a how do you say uh, it? The, <clears throat> like a stick figure. Uh, no, like um, okay. in churches where you have the the, the windows with oh, the like window. a like a stained glass mosaic. Yes, exactly, but with uh, vinyl records. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine would probably be super crude. Mine probably would be the stick figure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Whitney, what do you have this week? All right, I have some DCI news. Um, DCI put out a pretty lengthy article about. Um, all like the little local shows and the preview shows that they're doing, all the drum corps are doing. Um, this week we have Spirit of Atlanta. Theirs is on June 16th in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Boston has one on the 17th in Castleton, Vermont. Carolina Crown has theirs at Gardner Webb in North Carolina, also on the 17th. And nice. Phantom Regiment is doing theirs on June 22nd in Rockford. So there's a whole laundry list more, but those are the ones that are happening in the next week or so. Cool. Yeah. I can't wait to see some of those shows. Like, uh, have you been seeing anything for like crowns program this year? They're doing like the King Arthur show kind of. Yeah. I've seen a lot of pictures, but really that's, that's about it. So I'm excited to see that. I think it's going to be, um, more theatrical, like, old crown oh, you know that's what i like that's what i was yeah. missing for for a yes. while from crown um yes but yeah i'm excited to see what we get i think they're also using like some some cool instruments like i saw them using a concert euphonium for a solo and oh, like really? yeah and they just always do brass perfectly so i I'm, yeah. i love to see them like push the boundary a little bit and maybe use some concert instruments what would yeah. real, real quick, Dan? What would you think about using concert instruments in an outdoor setting like that? Oh, absolutely! You know, it, even if you well, I'm not sure what they're doing in DCI these days, but a lot of right. the local marching bands are amplifying things like crazy mm-hmm. these days. Um, take it or leave it if you like it or you don't. But um, I, I think euphonium concert euphonium has a gorgeous sound, and it's a different timbre than your uh-huh. you know traditional marching instruments. I'm all for it. I think I, I saw. Recently, uh, last season, there were some bassoons on the field uh, standing still. Oh. Hopefully, they aren't going to choke on the vocal. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> standing still, and uh, it, it just has a whole different texture. Yeah, totally. And like you were saying with the amplification, the picture I saw did have a tiny little uh, clipped mic to the bell of that euphonium. So I'm sure it's going to be coming like a butter straight through the mix. 
Correct. Um, I'm excited. Maybe in a couple days here, we'll get to see it for the first time. So my story for this week brings us up to, I believe, Minnesota. Um, marching bands to take over Benson, Montevideo, and Litchfield next week. So lovers of high school marching bands and their performances, they're in luck. Starting on June 12th, there will be uh, three different marching band parades over three days in three different West Central Minnesota towns. Uh, bands from all across the state actually travel to perform in the parades, but they're not like your regular everyday parade. They actually are judged on their performances at several different spots throughout the length of the parade. So it kind of fuses like a large statewide competition into like this multi multi town different sort of like parade extravaganza uh, that goes on up in Minnesota uh in the middle of june have any of you guys ever been in a, co a competitive parade yeah Never. I, yeah I, a lot <laughs> a lot oh okay all right literally Is from that... <laughs> i don't know like three years old to mm, i don't know whenever i stopped probably like 10 or 11 or 12 so uh -huh. my parents group they would, it would constantly be like 4th of July parade, 4th of July parade. How many parades can you fit in one day? That's basically what we did. <laughs> I don't want to know the answer to that question. <laughs> oh my God. So many, but they, we always carried like uh, squirt guns with like uh, water in them. So you could either like shoot it at everyone and so like to cool them off and then, or you can like shoot it in their <laughs> mouth if they need a drink. At the end of one of the parades, uh, there was, like, a misting tent, so they had, like, the hose cut out with different holes. That was my favorite part. Oh, yeah, that's big. The whole time I marched, the whole time. <laughs> at a 4th of July parade, at, at any parade, I don't care what time of year it is, I would probably want that there. Um, so, our pride, our pride parade is this weekend, and marching in that here in Fort Lauderdale, and while not officially judged... There's a lot of judging happening. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're being constantly judged. Um, doing a parade in June in Florida, what kind of uniforms does the ensemble wear? Oh, white polo shirt, khaki shorts. It is Thank very goodness. informal. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Hats goodness. are optional. It seems like it would be absolutely brutal to be out there in like a heavy wool traditional uniform and you're in the Florida heat and humidity. <laughs> exactly. No, we're, we're pretty informal. No, that's that's for the best. That's good. Um, the whole story actually reminds me a lot of uh, of the Mummers competition, which is a little uh, near and dear to my heart in Philadelphia, which mm -hmm. uh, I only recently got involved with. But that's kind of like these these performers will work for months. And the only time that they perform it, basically, is one day on New Year's Day, which is a competition. It's a one and done. That's finals, one competition once a year, um, which was totally new to me. I never saw anything like that. So to see that Minnesota does a similar like competitive parade, I think that's super unique and super interesting. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for a great rehearsal this week. Thank you to our hosts, Ashley, Cynthia, Whitney, and Beth with Emily Nee, as well as thank you especially to our uh, guest host, Daniel. You can learn more about the Wind Ensemble at pridewindensemble.org or on Facebook slash Pride Wind Ensemble. 
Also extend a big thank you to Denise Von Figlio for coming on for our interview, as well as the Marching Pageantry Arts Museum, the Drum Major Leadership Academy at DMLA Training, and our friends at Drum Corps today. Go subscribe, write us a review. Jackie has been begging for these reviews yes. for weeks, and none of you have done it. I'm speaking to you specifically. Write a review. And share this with a friend. Follow us on social media at On a Water Break. We'll see you at the next rehearsal on a water break. Thank you.